1 Thessalonians 5, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. Um, it's a bit echoey, Adam, is it? Um, let's pray. Let's pray again. Father God, thank you that you speak to us in the Bible. And Lord, give us clarity and hope and joy in the gospel this morning, particularly as we think about our eternity. Uh, Lord, drive deep into our hearts what Christ has done for us in the past and also what he'll do for us in the future. We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, uh, you might remember um, back at the start of our series in 1 Thessalonians, I said that this letter was a bit like putting on a set of glasses or seeing through a lens. Uh, the gospel is a lens uh, that helps us see reality clearer. Uh, you know, the reality of who we are, the reality of who God is and his will for us. Uh, it all becomes clearer when we look at it through the lens of the gospel. And this letter of 1 Thessalonians, it makes us see through this gospel lens. The things that are blurry become clearer. Things that are out of focus become in focus. And now this morning's passage is going to particularly help us look into our future and the future of the world more clearly. You know, how do we see our own future and the future of our world through the lens of the gospel? Uh, early this year, we ran the Hope Explored course. Uh, it's one of the four bring courses that we do. Invite, bring your friends along as they uh, explore who Jesus is. And the very first discussion question of this Hope Explored course is this. Where do people think the world is going? You know, is the world going Is it getting better? Is it going up? Or is it getting worse? Or is it kind of just going round and round? You know, what trajectory is human history on? And I think there's a lot of confusion about this in our world. 
Uh, see, some say it's getting better. Uh, Sam Harris, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a really influential ne neuroscientist. He's an author. He's a philosopher. He's a famous outspoken atheist. He argues for this. He says, today we are surely more likely to act for the benefit of humanity as a whole than at any point in our history. He's saying that humans aren't just getting smarter and more advanced, we're also becoming better people. You know, we will embarrass our descendants just as our ancestors embarrass us. He's saying the world is getting better because humans, because we're getting better. Uh, but you kind of fast forward a decade, so he's saying this in 2010. Fast forward a decade and we have a global pandemic and you know, we're seeing people steal toilet paper from their neighbors in the supermarket. You know? And more than that, right? Right now, it feels like there's more wars going on in the world than ever before in my own lifetime. You know, is the world really getting better? At best, it kind of just feels like things are just going round and round, right? History repeats itself, as they say. I wonder what you would say. You know, where do you think the world is going? See, 1 Thessalonians has an answer to this question. It has an eternal perspective. Time is eternal. You know, death, we saw last week, even death is sleeping uh, for those who are in Christ. We, we saw that last week. There's something beyond even death. But it also says that the world, the whole world, is heading towards a huge moment, a huge point in our history. Again, we saw this last week. And so let me show you some of uh, precious slides from last week. Chapter 4, verse 16, The Lord himself will come down from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is the, whole mo the moment the whole world, the whole of human history is heading towards. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ again. This is where our world is heading. This is the moment that our world will be changed forever. And so what's the natural next question that you might ask to this? What's your natural next question? When? When is this going to happen? When will the Lord return? No, actually, literally, in our night church, we have a Q&A after the, the sermon. We had this question, literally, last week. When will Jesus come back? Tell us. And that's the question that Paul anticipates in chapter 5, verse 1, our passage this morning. If you're following along in my outline, uh, we're at point one, the day of the Lord. Verse one, let me read from verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul's anticipating this question. You know, he's saying about times and dates. You know, as people are saying, Paul, can you just give us a time and a date when Jesus comes back? Maybe I can put it in my diary and get ready for it. But Paul's saying that they already know the answer to this question. The day of the Lord, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, this is actually what Jesus himself says too in Matthew 24. Um, about five years ago, someone stole our camellia tree. It was at the front of our house in a pot. And uh, in the middle of the night, uh, it was gone. Someone took it. We woke up one morning and we couldn't see it. It was gone. Now, these people, they didn't tell us that they were going to come that particular night to take the pot plant. And that's my point. You don't know when the thief is going to come. You know what's really funny? 
Six months later, they returned the same pot plant. Again, in the middle of the night, we woke, we woke up the next morning and there it was. Um, that's Newtown for you. We were living in Newtown. <laughs> no one knows when Jesus will come back. Uh, not, even the father, uh, not even Jesus knows. Only the Father knows. Jesus doesn't even know that. But more than that, Paul says, this day will come with destruction and it will come suddenly. Verse 3. Uh, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on the pregnant woman, and they will not escape. People will be enjoying peace and security, but then destruction will come on them. For them, the day of the Lord is a day of destruction. Again, Paul's just echoing here uh, what Jesus himself taught and also what the Old Testament uh, prophets were saying. Judgment day is real. Judgment Day is real. Now, I think there are two errors that we can easily fall into on this, two dangers. And the first, the first danger that we might fall into is to over-obsess about the Day of the Lord more than what the Bible it's, uh, says itself. Uh, so I remember a guy from my old church who was probably in this category. You know, he read up on all this stuff online, you know, questionable stuff. Uh, you know, people who you hadn't heard of were saying, you know, Jesus is going to come back on this, after this event in the world, in, on this day particularly. Now, to be fair, I don't think he fully believed all that, but it, you know, it wasn't particularly helpful for him to entertain all these speculations, you know, speculations that go beyond what the Bible says. And that's the danger that Paul is speaking to in verses 1, and three, uh, one to 3. You know, we don't know, like I said, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Only the Father does. Jesus himself doesn't know that. And so, you know, let's not speculate about the times and the dates. I tell you what, Paul's not really slamming them on this in verses 1 to 3. It's not a rebuke here. He, you know, actually, Paul goes a little bit stronger in the next few verses. See, back to my brother, our, our brother in Christ from my old church, my friend. At least he cared about Jesus coming back. At least it was on his radar. Actually, more than that, he was longing for it. He just couldn't wait for the Lord to return. See, the second danger, the second danger, I think this is you know, probably the more prevalent danger amongst us, is to not even have the day of the Lord on our radar. And that's what Paul speaks against in verses 4 to 7. Now let's look at verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. I want to hone in particularly on verse 6. Uh, verse 6 is what Paul is really encouraging them to do here. Let's not be like others who are asleep, but let's be awake. Let's be sober. See, the biggest danger for us isn't that we'll over-obsess the times and the dates of Jesus coming back. Our biggest danger is that we don't even think about it. It's not even on our radar. We might go through days and weeks and even months not even giving it a thought. You know, imagine... Imagine if I got you to take out your calendar right now. Maybe you use something like Google Calendar for me, like, like me. Imagine that you created a new event, an all-day event starting tomorrow that went on forever. 
Uh, and so this new event, because it's an all-day event, you know, it sits at the top of your calendar, above all your other meetings and appointments that you might have lined up for this coming week or for the next month. And imagine this all-day event that is at the top of your calendar. It said this, Jesus might come back today. Imagine, you know, I'm not telling you to do this by the way, just imagine. Imagine every morning when you pick up your phone, the notification of this event comes up. Jesus might come back today. Imagine seeing that every morning. What difference would that make on your life? What difference would that make on your decisions every day? What difference would that make on what you worried about or cared about? Brothers and sisters, let's not be asleep. Let's be awake to the day of the Lord, Paul says. But notice, I want you to notice how he reasons this. Notice particularly verse 5. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Notice, you are. You are. Paul is appealing to who they are, their identity. Now, this is a really interesting way of reasoning. Uh, there's a book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you read it. It's the number one New York Times bestseller. It's, it's really this self-help book about making habits in life stick, you know, personal habits. And so it says, uh, if, for example, uh, if you want to run 10Ks, 10 kilometers every day, uh, the most effective way of making this habit stick to your life is not to say to yourself, you know, I'm going to try really hard to run 10 kilometers every morning. Um, I'm going to put it in my diary, my calendar. I'm going to try and run 10 kilometers every morning. It's not that. That's actually not very effective. It's actually more effective to say to yourself, I am a runner. I am a runner. Do you see the difference? It's to make running your identity and who you are. Now, do you notice what Paul's doing here, how he reasons? He's not saying, let's try to be awake and let's you know, have the day of the Lord on our radar. Let's, let's do what Gordon's saying and put this never-ending event on our calendar. No, he's saying, your identity is this. You are children of the light and children of this day. You belong. This is where, this is where you belong. You belong to the day. This is your identity. Now, one more thing. Why does Paul say we're children of the light and also children of the day? Is he kind of saying the same thing twice? I think he's saying something even more profound. Uh, remember what Prash was saying last week? Every word that Paul uses in Thessalonians is, is deliberate. He chooses every single word. See, the day that is the day of the Lord that we're talking about. The day to come. It's the day of the Lord. We belong to that future day. But the light, the light has already come. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what John tells us. Light has come into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And more than that, Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Paul says this in Colossians 1. He's qualified you to share in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness. We are children of the light. That's who we are right now, right now. Because of Jesus, because he came into the world to rescue us. See, this moment is the most important moment in the history of our world. This is the most important thing that has happened in our history. When Jesus died and rose again, he actually opened up a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And that's where we are. You know, that's where we belong. Though we live physically here 
in the earthly kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Spiritually, the Bible says, because we are united with Christ by the Spirit, because we are in Christ, we're seated in the heavenly places, Paul says. We belong to the light. We belong to that kingdom right now. And we also belong to the day that is to come. And you see that this isn't just an any old identity. This is an eternal identity. That line there just goes on forever. It's eternal, that gold line. The kingdom of light is eternal. We belong to something that is eternal. All earthly identities will fade away. You know, you, you won't be a runner forever. Your body won't last that long. And whatever the world says you are, whatever identities the world is trying to give you right now, they won't last. All earthly identities will fade away at some point. Why? Because Jesus will return. Jesus will come back. And the kingdom of darkness will end. But we, we belong to the day. We will always be children of the light. Now this diagram, it's, it's helpful. We belong to the light, to the kingdom of light. But it doesn't, this, this diagram is helpful, but it doesn't quite show the full perspective, the full scale of all this. See, that line goes on forever. But I have another illustration for you. So let me get this. Uh, this, this is an illustration from the life course that we just did. Um, this is from Pippi. I stole this from Pippi. Tug of war rope. Um, maybe we can play this after church. Um, can you see the rope? Can everyone see the rope? Imagine this rope goes on forever. And imagine this rope represents time, uh, our you know, eternity. And can everyone see this black bit here? This black bit in the rope. Um, imagine that this represents our lives. Your life, my life. This bit, our lives, versus eternity. You know, why do we spend so much energy and time worrying about and investing in things that just happen here in our life when there's the rest of eternity? When there's the rest of eternity. Brothers and sisters, we, we belong to the day. This is our future. This is, this is what, where we belong to. Let's be awake and not... Uh, let's not be asleep to that. Let's be sober, Paul says. Uh, let's not be like others who are asleep, he says in verse 6. But let's be awake and sober. The next question to ask is, how do we do that? How do we be awake and how do we be sober? What does it mean to be sober? And I think that's what verses 8 to 11 are about. So look with me to verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. How? How are we to be sober? Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is what it means to be sober, Paul says. To be a soldier. To be a soldier. Soldiers are alert. They're ready. And a soldier that's already dressed up in gear, you know, in full armor, they are alert and ready, aren't they? That's the image here. But what is our armor, Paul says? It's faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. And do you remember, back in chapter 1, we saw this too. Remember that Paul says that he always thanks God for the Thessalonian church and remembers this church before God. And do you, do you recall what he remembers about this church? Down here. We remember before our God your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul starts this letter thanking God for their faith, love, and hope. And in this last chapter, he's telling them to keep going. Keep wearing this armor of faith, love, and hope. Keep trusting God in faith, growing deeper in your faith. You know, faith holds firm to the promises of God that are in his word. It takes faith to live for an eternity that you can't see yet. And love, keep loving God, keep loving each other. That's what we are made to do. That's what we're saved to do. And that's what we'll be doing for eternity. You see, heaven is so much more than just living forever without any pain and any suffering. It's living forever in perfect relationship with God and also with each other. It's relating to each other in love. Love is what we'll be doing forever. So let's start practicing that now. And hope, we keep looking forward in hope to the salvation that is guaranteed for us. Now, this keeps us going through the hardships and trials of this life. Faith, love, hope, these are the fruit of the gospel. And it's in every believer as it prepares us for our eternal future. This is what it means to be sober and to be alert, to let the gospel keep bearing the fruit of faith, love, and hope in your lives and in your hearts. See, when you look at eternity through the lens of the gospel, it's very black and white. It's very black and white. There are only two outcomes. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are only two options here. To suffer wrath or to receive salvation. It's very black and white. But do you see the comfort here for us? Do you see the comfort here for us who belong to the day? When that day comes... When the day of the Lord comes, we're not receiving destruction. Our destiny isn't God's wrath. It's salvation. God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. No, God appoints us to receive salvation. The day of the Lord isn't a day of destruction for us. It's a day of salvation and glory and joy. You know, I used to be really nervous and I guess a bit scared about Jesus coming back. You know, maybe that made me try not to think about it. Maybe that's why it wasn't really on my radar. And as I look back, I guess it was because I was afraid. You know, what if Jesus comes back right in the middle of, you know, when I'm doing something really bad? You know, what if he comes back and he doesn't find me acceptable? What if he catches me distracted or asleep like it says here? You know, will he take me to be with him? And I don't know how you, you feel about the day of the Lord. Maybe you're like me in the past. But I want you to take a look at verse 9 again. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I'm destined for salvation, not through my own ability to stay awake. And you're destined for salvation, not through your own ability to produce faith and love and hope. And where destined for salvation, not through our ability to please God or to live our holy lives. We're destined for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 10. Because he died for us. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Do you see the dualities here, the, the different colors are colored? Christ died for us that we might live with him. And Christ suffered wrath so that we would receive salvation. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And friends, that is our identity. 
Brothers and sisters, that is our future. And so, just, at, just like at the end of last week's passage, uh, Paul says here in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Keep reminding each other of this. Keep speaking the gospel to each other. Keep reminding each other that the Lord is coming back. Keep encouraging each other not to invest in the things of our world that are going to pass away. And keep telling, telling each other that we don't need to be afraid when Jesus comes back because we belong to the day. We are his children. We belong to him. And friends, keep telling each other that God has appointed us not to wrath but to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. Keep telling each other the gospel. Uh, last week was Remembrance Day, 11th of November, uh, remembering Armistice Day, the 11th of November, 1918, when the fighting stopped on the Western Front. Uh, World War I, officially over. Victory was won. And I want to end on this illustration, just picking up on the image of being a soldier that Paul uses in verse 8. Because even though the victory was won on Armistice Day, even though the enemy was defeated, it actually still took nearly a year for all the Australian soldiers to come home. And in that year, as they were coming home, in that year between victory and coming home, they still needed to be alert and ready as soldiers. You know, how, you know, how silly would it be if they fell in love with the battlefield that they were fighting in for so long? That they fell in love with the trenches that they were in, knowing that they would be coming home soon to their families and to their country. Imagine how often that they would be telling each other, reminding each other, you know, the war's over. Victory has been won. We're on the winning side. And imagine how often they'd be encouraging each other as fellow soldiers, you know, hang in there. Hang in there. We're going home soon. We're going to be rescued soon. We're going home. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need to be saying to each other. The Lord is victorious. He has won the victory on the cross and in his resurrection. We are on the winning side. We belong to the day. And he's coming back to rescue us. Hang in there. Don't fall in love with this battlefield of the world. We're going home soon. We don't belong here. We belong to the future. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for giving us the victory in your Son. Thank you that our redemption is secured, our sins washed away, our eternity with you guaranteed. Help us to keep looking forward to that. Keep us, Lord, alert and awake. May the gospel keep clearing up our vision for our future. May the gospel keep reminding us of who we really are, that we are children of the light and children of the day, only through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him. We pray this in his name. Amen.